Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host and taker of the Chad. best stunners in the world. <laughs> Chad Mitz. You know you could have taken a stunner better than that. You would have sold it wonderfully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got practice in that. You also would know where you were in the ring and not, you know, press yourself directly against the ropes. I don't think it's so much of not knowing where he was in the ring, as in uh, sometimes, you know, 80-year-old legs don't cooperate with you when you're just trying to stand up straight. Sad, strange little billionaires. So, Chad, I saw a movie, and it sucked. And not because it was about (laughs) vampires or a living vampire. It sucked because it was poorly constructed, poorly conceived, poorly acted, and just all around not a fun time. Chad, I saw Morbius, and you have not. And, that, and, that, and this makes me very sad that you have not had this experience. Chad, what are your thoughts on the $40 million opening for, um, for Morbius? Um, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, what, what we imagined this movie to be going into. It. And yeah, like you said, I haven't seen it. And uh, I didn't want to pay to see it. I have free passes and I still don't want to use those because I can use them something else later. But uh, as far as the box office goes, I guess, I mean, I guess you got to consider that a win because nobody expected anything from this movie. But it, it, t- it, it took advantage of the, the situation it was in being that it was the biggest movie to open in about a month. The, the last huge movie to open was Batman. That was a month ago. And here it is. Uh, all Morbius is sitting all alone. It's a comic book movie. Uh, it's marketed as, you know, dealing with Spider-Man. So for, I guess, 40 million is okay. I don't know what the budget is for this thing. Um, but if I'm Sony, I take the win now because uh, you're not winning the rest of the month. Uh, it'll probably be really, really rough the rest of the month. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially with Sonic opening so quickly behind it. I yes. mean, it, it's 40 million was kind of a surprise to me. I thought they would be somewhere in the 20s. But, uh, you know, that was a surprise for me. Um, so I wanted to to do this because um, Mike, uh, I think it was Mike. Yeah, Mike Ryan posted an interview with the uh, the guy who directed the movie. A gentleman by the name of uh, Daniel Espinoza, yep. who also did, you know, a small movie called Life not too long ago. Um, so I wanted to do this because there was a a question. Uh, the interview itself is is worth the read because he, he deals a lot with the post credit singer, which is very odd, but the whole movie is very odd. Um, see where can i try and skim through and find this i in the ryan ryan asked the question um i heard a story about filming and i want to see if this is true he said he asked someone told me that jared leto was so committed to playing michael morbius michael morbius that even when he had to go to the bathroom he would use his crutches and slowly limp to get to the bathroom but it was taking so long between between for pee breaks 
the deal was made with him to get a wheelchair so someone could wheel him in there quicker. And he agreed to that. Is this truth? The director. Yes. All right. Yeah, because I think that what Jared thinks, what Jared believes is that somehow the pain of these movements, even when he was playing normal Morbius, he needed because he, he's been having this pain his whole life. Even though he's, uh, even though as he's alive and strong, it has to be a difference. Hey man, it's people's process. Homeboy was taking 45 minutes to go to the bathroom to be able to properly play the living vampire. So I saw somebody I follow. Uh, she's a host of some shows and she's acting in some stuff. And she was talking about method acting and how much of a, a crock and a pain in the ass it is for method actors when it takes all this time for people that's waiting on them to do the, their jobs. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but it has to be that. And I have to say, I agree. That's a crock of shit. Or, I mean, okay, I, I understand what method acting is. And I understand, I understand that he wants to use the crutches when he's still weak Morbius. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's very smart. But, you know, like he said, everybody's process. But like he points out, he's like normal Morbius and strong Morbius. This shouldn't be a thing. If he's still doing it at that point, I have no choice but to think that you're just being a dick. That's it. That, that's all I can gather from that. And, you know, this combined with the reports of his behavior on uh, the su- on Suicide Squad, the original one, and how far he did his method acting then, I'm just inclined to think that Jared Leto you, leans, on, uh, leans on the crutches of method acting to be a dick. I got nothing else for it. So I, I just think that it's, you know, this is the same man who sent rats to his, to his co-stars. Yes. I mean, in the suicide squad, this is, this is a dude who, you know, won Oscar for playing a trans woman, like deep method dude. Um, you know, he's, he's not Daniel day Lewis, but he strives to be. <laughs> so any story involving him doing the method acting doesn't surprise me. It's just, he doesn't really seem what he wants to do with the role and the, the movie doesn't exactly know what to do with his performance. And it's just, he, well, um, I saw Jared Leto in Jupiter sending in a theater, sir. This was worse. <laughs> and and um, that's the movie in which Eddie Redmayne is screaming for no goddamn reason. Oh man. Uh, like I, there's been some writing this week uh, after the movie came out talking about, you know, that how how fandom was quick to, you know, pretty much like crucify this movie before seeing it and getting out of little camps and stuff. And and I thought that was fair. So I don't I'm because I haven't seen it. I don't want to dump on it too much. How, however, I really don't want to see it at all. But I guess I will at some point. But I. I, I mean, the reviews we've already heard. I'm listening to you talk about it. There, it doesn't seem like there's a lot 
a positive things about this movie. Plus, is a character I already do not like, and I think the I think having this movie is rather pointless. But well, you think a Madam Web movie is also pointless? So y- yes, I'm so. I mean, my official stance on the Sony side of uh, Spider-Man things is I don't agree with any of the movies, particularly the ones with uh, that are focusing on what would normally be Spider-Man villains, getting their own movies without Spider-Man. I think that's a wasted opportunity because you could have them with Spider-Man. Madam Web is a whole different thing. Uh, much for the, you know, my, my introduction to Morbius was that uh, Spider-Man animated series. Much the same with Madam Web. And I hate them both because of that. I've I've seen them in the comics since then, but Morbius, I mean, it's a vampire. I don't really care about that kind of stuff. Madam Web is just like, I can't get behind her. There are certain mysticism things that I just can't get with, and I'm forever tainted by her showing up and being this annoying omnipresence for Spider-Man and sending him on these stupid mystic missions all all in order to train him for basically the very first version of Into the Spider-Verse. I hated every bit of that. So I there's no I have no good feelings about Madam Web. So yeah, everything Sony's trying to do, I'm just not on board with it on that side of things. Yeah, and uh the multiverse of it all is also very weird. So yeah, so I okay. I have seen the um the two scenes with. I'm guessing the only two scenes with Michael Keaton mm-hmm. when uh when he just magically shows up in his cell. I guess uh, I've seen that, and I've seen the the I guess the mid credit scene where he shows up, talk to Morbius, how he doesn't know how he got there and all that good crap. Um, I know lots of people have problems with all of that. Again, not having seen the movie, I can't really critique it as much as I would like because I don't know if there's other context. I hear there's not. But just the when you start doing multiversal stuff, this is the kind of stuff you can get. Um, Marvel is handling their, their hands on stuff very well because they're doing it. And while they're doing it, they're kind of explaining it to you. Sony's doing this kind of hanger on stuff and just like, saying things and not explaining stuff which could be they're leaving it open-ended enough where if they want to go further with it they want to explain it later they can i guess that's fine um that's it's not the worst thing in the world but again the more you do this kind of stuff the more you're going to if your audience gives the gives your audience potential to not follow it and it get convoluted enough where they're like, you know, I'm off for this kind of stuff. So, you know, open-ended is fine, but you keep adding this kind of stuff and it, it, it might add up to people being like, I'm done with all of it. And Morbius, Michael Keaton is in, in the trailers, but then in the movie, he doesn't show up until the post credit. It does seem like some things were reworked. I'm wondering... After Spider-Man No Way Home, did you have to change Michael Keaton's role in this to match up with the events of the mo- that movie? Is that what happened? Director. 
it was more a bit more that when Spider-Man came out, they said, we know how this works and we have a visual concept for how to make this. But the idea of having different timelines was something that was, for me, introduced within the movie universe with Into the Spider-Verse. When we were talking about making the movie, Into the Spider-Verse had just come out and it was a huge success. I told the guys, I said, this is super common among comic book readers. Well, there are scenes of Michael Keaton in the trailer that are in the movie. So that's why I was wondering if some things had to be reworked to match No Way Home. Yeah, exactly. The first thing that happened was that we had Michael Keaton because we were planning on doing this. But then when Spider-Man No Way Home came out, it said, this is how the visual effects are. And then the idea of having him just encountering him in that universe seemed too complicated. And then we put it in the end. Okay, so did so you did have to cut some things to make it match up with No Way Home. Is that accurate? Yes, because we have to match. I don't know how the transportation would look in that. Well, how the transportation would look like it would look like in that. Like the crack in the sky thing? Yeah, exactly. That wasn't done. That didn't exist. So there were all these small things that had to be addressed. But I think that the concept of having different timelines were, I believe, came from Sony, not from Kevin Feige. If it was Sony that inherited that idea, initiated that idea, I think the, the, that Miles Morales that you have in Spider-Verse, I would bet your life on that you would have Miles Morales from the Spider-Verse in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at some point. The thing I wasn't clear on in the post credit scene is when Vulture says, I think this is Spider-Man's fault, we should team up and fight him. How does Morbius know who Spider-Man is? Also, the movie establishes that Morbius is a good man who got too ambitious and created serum and did some bad things, but at his heart, he's not a bad person. Why would Morbius be interested in teaming up with this criminal? Well, the Vulture in this universe is not a criminal just yet. Why wouldn't, but that's fair, but why would Morbius be interested in what Vulture has to say in the first place? Exactly. I think it's a meeting of those because in this world, Spider-Man exists. In all the different Marvel timelines, you have a Spider-Man. It's a, it's a totem. In the Marvel Universe, what you say is that you have to have a Spider-Man in each universe for it to function. He's one of the fundamental beings. Now that's how it is in the comic books. Okay, sure. But there's nothing in the movie that establishes that Morbius has any beef with Spider-Man whatsoever. Oh, exactly. I think that's more of one of those scenes that are made that when you have scenes before that and the movie comes along, that will explain uh, repo- that reposition. All right. So there's a, yeah. there's a whole lot there. Um, okay. So mm. we have lost Chad. Chad Chad is genuinely I'm, lost lost for words. So I, like as you're saying all this stuff, I'm like thinking and formulating thoughts, but then now it's just like so much to compute. But uh, okay, what I'll first start with is I remember there being a point sometime in like October, November. Michael Keaton said he was going back to do some uh, reshoots uh, and everybody just because of what where we were on the schedule and what we were talking about, everybody was like, oh, so is it reshoots for it must be reshoots for Morbius. 
So, and it, I guess from this, it sounds like that's probably correct that um, they had to rejigger some things because of uh, No Way Home coming out first, which I'm really intrigued now what their original plans were because Keaton is featured heavily in like the first one or two trailers. So seeing what they did for this version of Morbius, I wonder what their original plans were because it seems like it was still going to be the same Adrian tomb. So maybe they just, he's just there and we don't know why he's there until we watch no way home. And we're like, Oh, okay. So that happened. Okay, cool. Fine. They had to change stuff. I get that. Um, from the scenes that I saw, the thing that sticks in my craw about them, and pretty much the only thing that sticks in my craw about them is when the second scene, when they're talking, um, Toombs is there in his whole full vulture getup, which, again, this is just my, you know, I, this is my, how my mind works. I'm like, well, if he teleported to this world, thanks to the events of No Way Home, why does he have his gear when he clearly showed up by himself in a jail cell? Wouldn't his gear still be at home in his home universe? Why is this happening? I don't, there's no good answer for that other than they wanted the vulture to show up and they just did it. Okay, fine. Whatever. Now, everything else the director said about Spider-Man being a totem and they have all these other worlds, blah, blah, blah. That's where I get frustrated because it's clearly just Sony like trying to grasp on to the Spider-Man they've created with Marvel, with the MCU. And the MCU is still very much like, I mean, the way that the Vulture showed up, I know Feige had knew about it, had probably had some input on it, but at the end of the day, it's Sony's. So yeah, they can do it, but it's still not, we're still not what you're doing in with your Sony stuff. We're still not letting you fully touch our MCU stuff unless we're doing it. And judging by the way that Sony's running things, I can't say that I blame him. So because of Sony, just they they want to do their own thing, but they're in this situation with Marvel, it causes it's gonna cause this. There's going to be a lot of this. Either they need to be completely separate from Marvel. Don't touch the time. Either take Tom Holland Spider-Man back, leave Tom Holland Spider-Man there, do something else with another Spider-Man over here. They, I think they need to completely divest from the MCU going forward for the success of their future movies. I already don't think their future movies are going to be good because I think they're ill. They're, they're poorly conceived. But if you're going to do that, divest from the MCU. What they're trying to do right now, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I don't think it's going to work out well for them. Uh, the MCU is going to keep chugging along and they're going to still be like, eh, we're kind of involved, we're kind of not. And people, I mean, people turned on Morbius because, you know, from everything we're hearing, it's not a good movie. From everything I'm hearing, it's not a good movie. And I think it's going to continue to be that way because I don't think they know how to make a good movie with these characters. They're just trying to have their own franchise. And that's first and foremost in their mind. And that's why they're going to fail. Well, I think that if anything, it's Sony being like, we need 
like we don't know how to do this outside of what you know um remember back remember back in the the summer of 2016 or 2017 when tom went away for a few days like you remember that remember uh rothman and his uh his loyal substitutes out there saying that they had the feige playbook and that they were all fine now um like it just kind of seems to me they don't know the full playbook and they're they too, they're too scared to get away from it because it's now worked and it's worked with their characters so now they're kind of stuck it's why tom hardy shows up for all of like eight seconds in in the marvel cinematic universe um I, I just I feel bad for the director because he goes on to basically say these movies are big ideas and you know I prefer movies where I have a lot of control that these movies are big a lot of big ideas and involve a lot of people, which basically says I was neutered without saying I was neutered. Um, film's messy. It, it's just messy and it's it's much more reminiscent of early two thousands comic book movies and not in a good way and you know it, it's unfortunate but the good news is if it's enough of a financial success uh then sony can justify having uh this guy pop up uh, this this version of morbius pop up in somebody's uh venom three so um i don't know how much i don't know how much they would need to make for sony to consider it a success i looked at the budget it says it's a 75 million dollar budget which for this type of movie i I think that's reasonable. I think that was a, I think that's the smartest thing they did in making this movie. They didn't sink a lot of money into it. But so it's at 40 right now. I don't know. It's, I don't know what is that worldwide. I don't know if it was released day and date everywhere else. Um, but so if it, if it makes, it's got to make 150, I think to break even. So 150 plus, if you get to 200 million worldwide, I think you can consider this a success. Uh, and then at that point is, does Sony want to pursue going forward with sequels? And what does that look like? I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know anything about what they want to do. The only thing I will say, the only thing that they're showing through all of this is we can make these movies not spend a whole lot of money on them. Now, 83 million the, worldwide. 83 million worldwide? They're at uh, 39.5 domestic, 44.9 international, 83.9 worldwide, almost 84 million. Yeah, so it needs to double what it's done so far over probably the next four weeks. Um, this weekend will be a stuff test, a, a stiff test for it to see how much, not only it's going to lose the weekend, but how much uh, of a drop does it take? And how much more does Sonic make over the weekend than does Morbius? I think those are going to be the two key questions for it next week. Uh, you know, if it has a, a 50% or less drop, maybe it makes it. I doubt it. I think it's going to be way more than that, but we'll, we have to wait till next week to see. Indeed. I mean, I just think it's all overall, it ended up being good placement for the film. And, uh, it's gonna. It's making some money. It's finding an audience, and that's all you really need to continue forward with the character. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Sony goes from there. Um, so Chad, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences apparently hired the public relations people 
that were working at the LSU athletic department from 2015 to 2016, uh, because their last week was a complete and total dumpster fire. Your thoughts, sir, on we asked him to leave. No, you didn't ask me to leave. Okay, no, we didn't ask him to leave, but we probably should have asked him to leave. What are your thoughts, sir? To me, um, the the entity that comes out of this looking the worst. Uh, I know people are going to say Will Smith, and I mean, yeah, he's he's losing projects, he's, he's losing money, like it's yeah. Well, I'm, I'll go into that in a minute because there was an interesting tweet. I'll see if I can find it while uh, while I make this first point. I I still think the academy took it the worst of everybody, mostly because they're the ones that kept talking. This thing happened. Will apologized for it in the speech a little bit. He, he did his real apology the day after. And then the day after that, he kind of releases another apology and he resigns from the academy. And then he just stopped talking. That was it from him. Uh, Chris Rock, he hasn't said anything real public yet, He's but he's done shows, I think, starting Tuesday. And he was like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that right now. I need some time to process it. When I talk about it, it will be funny, but I will, but just not now. But the Academy, they've been saying things about it. When everybody else stopped talking, they kept going. And the thing about them putting out that statement that we asked him to leave and he refused. And then like, I don't know if it was the same day or the next day, but then the coming day. out. Yeah. The next day coming out of the, like, no, Nobody officially asked him to leave. Uh, there was the first thing I saw about it was that the director of the the award show told asked told him directly to stay. Uh, who, who he then went on a Good Morning America. He said he never directly talked to Will. I never really saw what the what the further explanation of that was. Maybe he had somebody relay the message to him like directly, but he didn't directly talk to him. I don't know. How far down the hole that goes, but oh, we and we had the we had the whole thing initially was they were too scattered throughout the yeah. auditorium in order to congregate together to decide whether or not to ask him to leave. But, and when I heard that, I'm like, okay, so from the moment the slap happened to the moment he won the award was around 40 minutes. So you're telling me that you decision makers can't come to get like physically come together back at some point, some place backstage within 40 minutes to make a decision on what to do with Will Smith. Like I I've never been to that theater, but I imagine with everything going on, you are part of the Academy. The people know you're part of the Academy. You can get to a place backstage. If you want, you can coordinate with However many people, I can't imagine it being more than like eight. It's probably less than it's probably like five, three or five that you can't find a way to get together within 15 minutes of that happening, because this just happened on live TV on your show. And you're telling me that you can't y'all can't get together like that's that's like leadership one on one. This is crisis management time. We got to all be there. I'll be in this spot right now and that they didn't have that in place shows just how great the leadership is for the academy and it, it makes me not want to believe anything they say because at this point 
it's kind of made, it's kind of the spin mode to make you look good because not being able to meet looks makes you look terrible. And really and truly, they there's no excuse for them not being able to meet. What they should have done is within 10 minutes, they all get together and be like, okay, this happened. I don't care if he's about to win the award. He needs to go. And that's it. You kick him out. He gets he and he still wins the award. And somebody else has to go up there and get it for him. And he has to accept it in shame later. If that happens and he makes these apologies, all of this is over. He's paid a punishment for it. He's got to he's missed out on the culmination of his career in this night right now because of an action he committed. I think you I think you kill a lot of that if they can get together and be authoritative and make a decision and they couldn't and they just look they look really terrible to me in all of this. Outside of the actions of what Will did that this body can't come together to make decisive decisions in a timely manner and then want to come later behind the scenes and be like, okay, so we're going to deliberate on what to do with it. No, make the action then. And we don't have none of this now. So my thought process process here starts with the beginning. Um, the, the, what they got grilled for the most on Sunday night after it happened was not allowed, not that him, that he was allowed to stay. And that he was allowed to give the speech. And so that was the thing that they were getting grilled for. So when you come to the Tuesday, the Monday morning uh, trades and the Hollywood Reporter and variety pieces that, you know, normally are about the winner of the best picture and who gave the best speech and all the other, they were all about the slap and they were all about the Academy's reaction to the slap. That is where we get the original, the, the original article stating that they, as a body, the leadership, the leadership of the academy, being the board of governors, was too spread out around the auditorium to come together and congregate and make a decision about Will's um, ability to stay or go. Um, someone in the academy at some point figured out how bad that looked for them. And so the next day, a statement was made that was like, oh, no, 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 no. We as a body made a decision and we asked him to leave. He flew us the finger and refused. And we didn't want to call the LAPD and have him hauled away. So we just let him stay. And then that very, then Will Smith's camp gets a hold of that and is like, because that was part of the formal complaint that was filed in, uh, at, with the academy, uh, you know, regarding looking into his uh, his membership and disciplinary action and all that. And so Will Smith can't gets a hold of that story and goes like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 what? We were never talked about. Will was never asked to leave. And then then you get the Academy president com- coming behind and being like, you know, I personally went down there and and asked him to asked him to leave. And then Will's camp is again like, um, no. And then, you know, you start the disciplinary proceedings and you start, you know, people debating what was going to happen and what disciplinary action would be taken. And you get these swirl of comments. And then ultimately by mid mid to late week, you get Will doing what was probably the right thing, which is 
to resign from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and to again issue another apology, basically taking the decision about what to do disciplinary-wise away from the Academy because these buffoons couldn't even decide whether they'd actually asked him to, to leave or not. And it, it, it reminded me a great deal of the last mile situation here because Joe Oliva knew what Les was and knew what Les was doing and knew that he was a walking Title IX issue and wanted to fire him for cause. And he went about trying to do that in 2015. We know now the particulars of what was said and done because they were done on public email servers. And like Joe Oliva is on those emails begging the drum to hire Jimbo Fisher and get the hell away from Les Miles. And to do it, and his, his whole thing was, this is the right thing to do. The public will get behind us. We will, we will have, we'll take a little bit of PR hit for the first week. But once we start leaking information about the disciplinary actions uh, or the, uh, the Title IX actions, then we'll be looked at as doing the right thing. And he got outruled and overvoted. But that entire time, he was having to sit quiet while all the Jimbo stuff was flying around and the rumors were flying around. And ultimately, you get that crazy night in November after the AM game where Les is literally carried off the field by his players and the whole huge banner hangs outside of the suites of Tiger Stadium saying, you know, please keep Les and all the crazy things that happened that night. And then you get that press conference where it's like, eh, we're never, we were never going to fire him. He's good. And we know how bad that made Oliva look. And we know how bad that made uh, King Alexander look. And we know how botched that thing was that made it even harder to, to do it eight months later in September of the following year when they finally did let him go. And I just kept thinking about Joe and Alexander and the board of directors and the infighting and everybody trying to look their best and trying to put out the story that made them look the best. And this was the Academy identifying that they had a, they had a problem. They let him stay. And honestly, and honestly, Chad, I think that if the decision makers had gotten together in a room, they would have let him stay because they wanted him to give the speech because they wanted the ratings. So I, I, I don't think that even if they'd have gotten together and made a decision, they could have come to a consensus that wouldn't have been let him stay. We need the ratings. But that at least says that they um, would have come together. They knew, identified the problem that they were getting hammered for not asking him to leave. They wanted to correct that in the public narrative. That's why they put out the story about them congregating, not congregating, because they were too spread out. That backfires on them because it looks like they're stupid idiots who don't know how to come together, you know, can't leave their seats for 10 minutes during the middle of a public of a crisis and make a decision. And then when they get called out for their lie, they don't know how to respond. And it just, it, it implodes on them. And like, it's all because they didn't want to, they wanted to change the narrative because they thought they looked bad not having asked him to leave. You know, and it, it's just, it's nuts. And the only thing, the only thing that ends up saving them in the end is by Will Smith doing the thing for them anyway. Like he does them a favor by resigning from the academy. So you don't have to go through the disciplinary process. So you don't have to have a hearing. 
So you don't have to give testimony, take testimony. You don't have to, to go through either the rule book and figure out what you can and cannot do to this man. Like this all basically for the most part will go away except for the ramifications to Will's career, which we'll get into in a minute because Will resigned. If Will hadn't have done that great, done that favor for them, we'd be still knee deep in this because it took days for them to go back and forth over whether they congregated or not. I don't understand how a body like the, the Academy Awards is so bad. So, so bad. Could you, could you understand how the athletic department in the Southeastern Conference with the board of governors that's you know athletics heavy and not academic heavy could box a firing of a coach so badly? Oh, I can well, see. I can get that because you have so many different power brokers involved with that, and you have to get them all on the same page, and they clearly weren't on the same page about to do what to do with that, but. This is crisis mode. Like the first thing for any organization when it's crisis mode, like you know who pulls who pulls the ship which way, and you follow their lead. And the fact that none of them could step up, no matter how many of them there are, kind of says everything about the academy. Indecisive in a moment of crisis, and not only indecisive in a moment of crisis. They they had differing opinions, and then they got caught in a lie and didn't know how to spin it. Like you know, it's just it's a it's a huge shame. And then you add on top of that, not only you add on top of that, all the members of the academy who came out and were disgusted by what happened and made statements about the academy allowing it to happen. So your own, the members of your own body were displeased with how you handled the situation. Frank Oz, I know, had a deeply passionate quote, uh, tweet about it. Yep, and I mean, everybody's got their own, their their own thoughts of what uh, what should and shouldn't have happened. But uh, that's what you're there for. You, I would imagine that if it were me running this show, because it's, I mean. Yes, the Oscars, the Academy does uh, different things, but this is the night for most people. This is the night. This is what the Academy does. I Because it's live, because anything can happen, that means there's a crisis around every corner. I would imagine that they're all, they should always be together in case something goes wrong so they can all be right there to respond to it quickly. Uh, this, I mean, this is just my management stuff talking. I it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. All right. So here was here was the quote. After after being a member of the Academy member for 30 years, I am embarrassed to be associated with the Oscars telecast, not because of the slap, but because of all the because of the phoniness of the show. All I sense is a desperate attempt to get more viewers by any means possible, not a show about the love of making movies. Uh, that was Frank Oz. Yeah, I did. I read his and there are a lot of people that have a problem with the the show itself. Um, I don't we haven't really most people haven't really talked about the show itself because the the slap has engulfed it so much. Uh, I'm when when people get ready to, to have that conversation, I'm really curious to hear 
what they didn't like about the show. Um, I, I hear Frank Oz when I, I hear him when he says that, you know, it. I've heard this from other people, too, that it felt like it was a show put on by people that don't like movies. Uh, the animation people really, really dug into this with the the bit that they had for um, the best animated award when they had the three Disney princesses come up there and they pretty much made it sound like they, they downplay animation for adults. They downplayed it as, you know, being parents being forced to watch the stuff with kids and not really wanting to see this stuff. And I, I do feel that that was uncalled for and, and, and that was hurtful for animation. But I, I, I want somebody to break it down, like everything that they thought was like disrespectful for film in the show. Because not that I'm saying I won't agree with them. I just want to I just want to hear it. Because I know who produced the show. It was it was Will Packard. It was the first time that we had a black man running the show. And uh, I know, and I don't know if if it's the skits themselves that were making that message, or I, I've also seen a lot of people have issue with uh, the 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 choir stuff with the in memoriam, because uh, there was a part that they danced and when I watched it, that was like, I'm like, oh, they're dancing during the immemorial. It, it felt kind of off to me, but I also know that it's a gospel choir and that's kind of what they do. So I wouldn't have done it, but i not necessarily offended by it either because I get that part of the culture they're trying to go with. But I can see that people might not like that. So I... I mean, I was so wrapped up in the slap, I've kind of forgotten a whole bunch of stuff that happened that might have upset people. So that's why I want to get like different views from different people before we really go into the show itself. I much rather is, you know, frankly, it's much easier just to criticize people in charge of the the Oscars for the handling of the crisis than it is for the handling of, of the show right now for me. Well, because the show has changed and evolved over the years and they've gotten further and further away from actual film stuff and not to mention the fact that there are so many elements of film and filmmaking that aren't even represented on the Academy Awards telecast to begin with. But you know, the one that comes to my mind most prominently is stunt act, stunt, stunt act. Like there's not a category for best stunt performance or stunt performer. Um, there's not a... Uh, there's not a whole a category for key grips or boom mic operators. Um, like there are uh, key elements of uh, key elements of filmmaking that are not awarded Oscars. Um, that in and of itself takes away from learning or appreciating more about the the process of making films. So I understand that part of it. That's something that has slowly but surely uh, changed over time. For example. There was a point in time where the best screenwriting category showed a scene from the film with the script pages overlaid. And that was a cool way to kind of represent, hey, this is what how you get from page to screen. Um, that's that's changed. Like that isn't is something to do anymore. So like the only time I can remember them really trying was a few years back when they like organized the categories by stages of production. So like they started with writing and then they 
made their way up from there with music and they added on the the the, mood, the stars and they added on the production design and the costume design and the makeup design and then sound effects vfx and then they added in you know the finished product but it was like a journey through the steps of making a film and that was a really cool thing to do but again that was only one time that they did that so uh, I think it's very unique. I think it's very different uh, year to year, depending on who your your producer and director are. But it's very clear to me that the whole aim of the Academy, especially over the last five years, is ratings, 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 young people, young people, young people. What can we do to make things better? And when the most unfortunate thing for them this year, to me anyway, was not the slap. The most unfortunate thing for them was the fact that they cut categories um, where Dune, by the way, won most of its Oscars and moved it to the pre-telecast, didn't show it, and told the people that they weren't showing it because they needed the room on the telecast. And the telecast still ends up being three hours, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most unfortunate thing that happened. Because then it's like, what was the extra 15 minutes? Like, <laughs> you couldn't spare 15 more minutes, make it a four-hour telecast for us to have our moment? Like, really? So, like, it it just continues that rift within the academy itself. So that's the most unfortunate thing to me that happened to them. Yeah, they... I think the Oscars really needs to come to, like, recognize that, um, especially looking at the ratings for this year and how minuscule a jump they made, the Oscars is a niche... It's a, it's a niche award show. It's own It's... It's a celebration of movies, and that audience that wants to see that is niche. It's very small, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's and that's not to say like to get rid of it or anything, but just recognize what the audience for the Oscars is now. But the problem and, is that that small of an audience doesn't get two hundred million dollar TV rights deals, and that's it, it the problem. And that's the problem for the Academy is that it is that it doesn't. It doesn't get you 200 million. ABC doesn't pay 200 million dollars for something that is going to generate maybe 10 to 12 million dollars worth of worth of advertising revenue. Like they don't do that, and and it's you know you get we can make the case about you know the amount of money the networks pay for live NBA and NFL games and how the, those rates have ballooned over the years and therefore ballooned the salary caps. For the for those sports as revenues have grown, but the honest to God's truth is that even with a slight decline in NFL ratings, those network TV those network TV partners are making more money now than they ever have. Mm-hmm. So like, it's a it's a win for them to spend two hundred million to make six hundred million in profit. See, like, if you're spending two hundred million and you're getting fifty million back in profit, that's 150 million dollar loss. It's, there's no network. There's no network in the world that or or production uh, TV company in the world that's going to take that that risk. So if when the rights come up again and they renegotiate and they bid underbid you from 200 million, you can't be offended. And that's why they were trying their their darndest to get the ratings up so they have some kind of leverage when negotiations come back. I mean, I get all that from you know from their business standpoint, but I don't, I don't think it's getting better. Like 
I don't think you're getting back to over 20 million. And I understand that, you know, you want the rights, you want the, the, to keep the TV deal, but, you know, it, it might not be in the cards for you. And there's not three networks anymore. There aren't three networks. And, and the other thing that I, that we talked about when the show was on was that like finding it streaming is not easy. You have to have a, you have to have either a Hulu subscription or a, a, a YouTube TV account in order to view it over non, the non over the air channels. Like that doesn't make it easy for the next generation who a lot of whom don't have over the air cable to, to see it, you know? So, I mean, there's all kinds of problems and we can sit here and talk forever about it, but what, uh, what are your thoughts on the two news items that have come out this week? One that Will Smith had 40 pages of bad boys for handed to him two days before the Oscars. And, and now that's, that's in jeopardy. And then the fact that Netflix has been quietly backing away from its next Will Smith project as a result of, uh, of what happened at the Oscars last Sunday. Okay, so initially when I saw that, I was like, I don't know if I think that's necessarily right for them to do that, but I understand because, you know, it's immediately in the aftermath of the snap, the slap. I understand people want to back away. And, <laughs> um, and then um, on Twitter, I saw this tweet thread from... Um, from Justin Crow, he's a, a Hollywood reporter for uh, Deadline, I believe it is. And here's what he had to say about this: a couple of tweets. Uh, he said uh, he hadn't dived into Smith's future acting jobs following Slapgate, but since uh, Matt Baloney, I think he's the one that broke the news about uh, Netflix stepping away from from Will. Uh, Matt Baloney is uh, since Matt Baloney briefly mentioned that they will be paused indefinitely. Here's what I, I will say. Had heard for weeks he was likely taking a break after shooting Emancipation in fall, all while hitting a war circuit. Big reason Letwich uh, switched over. That's the director from one of those movies. Letwich switched over to Fall Guy at the top of the year was because Fast and Loose uh, script wasn't ready to be put into production. And also Smith had given signs he wasn't rushing back into work after Oscars anyway. So while he certainly won't be reading any new scripts or taking any meetings anytime soon, there also wasn't any rush pre-slap to get any of his other projects in development in front of cameras at any time soon either. For those confused by, uh, quote, camera ready, that's basically saying a start date for, for production is in play and we can start adding additional cast like Oppenheimer is an example. There's no film in the Smith development slate that has been close to doing this since emas- emancipation wrapped. So reading all that, it sounds like uh, Will just finished up uh, this movie Emancipation. He had those projects, but he wasn't, it sounded like before the slap, while he was doing the uh, the war circuit, he was saying that he was going to take a, he was going to take a break. He was going to step away from acting anyway. So while they're report, I believe the reporting that you know these studios are uh, pulling back. I also believe that Will himself was going to step back anyway, and I don't know if he doesn't sound like he was going to do another project 
at least until the last, the later part of this year, maybe not again until next year. So maybe those, maybe those things were already in motion. And then with the whole Slapgate happening, these studios can put out this public release that, you know, they're stepping back when in actuality, he had nothing scheduled to shoot. It seems like at all once emancipation, uh, once emancipation was done. So I think both things can be true. I, uh, the studios took this opportunity to, to distance themselves from him, but he didn't actually have anything in active development where he's going to be shooting anytime soon anyway. So I think it looks a lot worse than it actually is, but I think what's going to happen is sounds like he was going to take a break anyway. I think what's going to happen is he's still, he's taking more of a mandatory break now, but in the next, like at the end of the year, going into next, you're probably here. Okay. This thing is rolling again. And he's got this script going and uh, he'll, he'll get opportunities. He's going to get opportunities again. It's not the end of the world for Will Smith. Yeah. I just don't see how bad boys Four is uh, directly affected by this. I mean, like they, they need, like that was a huge hit franchise just two years ago at the height of a pandemic, man. Like, you know, I don't think they, they necessarily care. And let's not forget, Bad Boy specifically is a Sony movie. And Sony, as we you know, Sony doesn't have that many franchises. So they want all the hits they can get. Yeah, they'll let they'll let this cool out a little bit. But if Bad Boy Four is a thing they want, again, they the only active franchise they have are Spider-Man. I guess you can count Ghostbusters. And that's it. So Bad Boys was a surprise hit from the pandemic. If there's any chance of it happening, they're going to make it happen. They just might not make it happen this year. Maybe like come out in the next year, 2024, maybe. Indeed. So, Chad, we have been graced with news that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness will drop tickets on Wednesday of this week. Your thoughts on whether or not we get any more footage on Wednesday with with the tickets dropping and what are your expectations for pre-sales? Are we looking at record-breaking numbers, or are we just looking at, you know, your average Marvel movie numbers? I don't know about record-breaking, but I do think um, this is going to be... Doctor Strange is going to be an event. It, it has... It's officially reached that status. It's going to be an event. I don't think it's going to be like a Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, No Way Home event. But it's going to do... I think it can if leaks start happening. Even with that, um, I... Okay, Doctor Strange might make a billion dollars, but I don't think it's going to do, like... No Way Home made eight domestically. It's number three domestically all time. Doctor Strange is not doing that. But it's, it's going to do... It's going to do well. I don't know how the... I don't know how the pre-sales are going because I don't know how many people actually realize how close we are to Doctor Strange. Um, I think it'll do it'll probably be like of our pandemic era ticket sales, pre-sales. I think it'll probably be number two behind No Way Home. Uh, as far as are we going to get any more looks, we might get another 
if we get anything, it's going to be a teaser. I think the last trailer we got is the big trailer, but we might get a few, like, you know, teaser trailer, a minute or less of footage. Most of the footage we've probably already seen, like a snippet here or there, something new, but just something to commemorate. Tickets on sale now. I agree. I think we might get another 30 second trailer just to have a TV spot to let people know tickets. Tickets are on sale now. Um, I think that's the way that they're going to go. But I'm interested to see the pre-sale number because I do think, especially especially with Cumberbatch out there hyping the, the thing up to the moon when he was on the award circuit. I mean, if, if leaks start really going and they keep hammering the Sam Raimi of it all, they could start driving up those numbers. But it'll be, be interesting to see. I mean, I think it, it ends up pre-selling more tickets than uh, Black Widow or Shang-Chi. Um, and certainly more than Eternals. So we'll see. It just definitely made itself an event. Does it end up in Batman territory at 650 or 700 million? I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, it's it's going to oh, it, be a it's going to be a monster opening weekend, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, my hot take is that I do think Doctor Strange makes a billion dollars. I think it's going to surpass the the box office total of the Batman. Um, and I don't know how people are going to take that. Mostly for the, mostly for the people that you know, like the Batman Sony who don't, or that are very reactionary as we've documented. Oh, that's Warner Brothers, and yeah, I don't. It should mean absolutely nothing to them because the movies shouldn't compare, outside of the fact that you know they are both based on comic book fare. But all it takes is somebody being like, "Man, Batman is like the second most popular character in the world," and Doctor Strange, a D-list character from Marvel, has made more money than uh, our brand new, exciting Batman. What's up with that? And what they should, what what Warner Brothers should do is like, yeah, we know, but you know, we're restarting a franchise and everything should be fine. And you know, we're not, we are not Marvel, so that's all well and good. But what I just, I can't shake the feeling that. Somebody, it just takes one of them knuckleheads over there in power to be like, why don't we have a billion dollar Batman movie? What is wrong with this? And then it all go to hell. But I don't know. We'll see. That we will. So that'll about do it for this week's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. And I'm at The Mystery. Thank you very much. And all hail Mark Sanchez. There we go.